take that, CNN. You know, I just had to say that. That just seemed to fit. We, we, are, we are not who they say we are. We are who he says we are. Amen. Amen. Glad to see you this morning. We go one more round. And there could be many chapters to this, but one more round on this subject. How God heals a broken nation. How God heals a broken nation. I want to say a couple of things before we jump into that. One, one of them is, we are getting from all kinds of different directions that Financially, the nation is in trouble. Recession may be at the door. You drive down your neighborhood street and see what the gas prices are and so forth. Grocery store costs. Here's what I want to say to you. God's people. God's people. If you will honor him, he will honor you. If you will honor him with your finances, he will honor you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he spoke these words, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will, they will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. The world says, get all you can, can what you get, and sit on the can. That's what the world says. God says, give. And it shall be given unto you. The Apostle Paul writes these words in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And this is the context is about finances. It's about giving to needs that the Lord would make known. He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let one eat till each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a giver who's cheerful. Wonder why that's that's there. Wonder why that would be put in the scripture. Because it is consistent with the heart of your father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God is a giver. God is generous. He's not cheap. And when he sees somebody who bears that likeness to him, even when it may not make sense to be a giver, but he sees one who is, his heart is to bless and encourage the giver. What I want you to know is that is a truth. If you will honor God out of the first of that which he blesses you with financially, even in seasons and times when there's a constriction, it would appear, financially, he will honor you as you honor him. Now, there are some things I don't know. Well, a lot of things I don't know. Shirley would say, are you kidding me? There are many things you don't know. Don't act like you know where I don't. I don't know everything. But this is one thing I know. I have seen it in my own life, in our lives. I have seen it when I have tried to teach young believers, here's what you do with your finances. 
Don't you stick the Lord at the end of your list of payables. You put him at the top. You honor him out of the first of that which he blesses you with, come hell or high water, in in the rainy season, in the drought. You honor the Lord with your finances. First above everything else, you honor the Lord and he will honor you. I've had folks become so deeply convinced of that that when I get to talking about that, and some of you who are listening to me are in this batch, you're you're in this covey, you just want to stand up on the pew and say, let me tell my story. In in Malachi chapter 3, there there is this statement that we've, we've heard a lot maybe over the years of your walk with the Lord, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you. What's eaten up your funds, I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the fields cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Do the math. The math would say the first 10%, the first 10% belongs to the Lord. He could have required 90, he could have required 100, but he says that first 10% is mine. That belongs to me. It's holy unto the Lord. It starts there. He can lead us to give much more than that in many different things, but when he blesses with a, with a stream of revenue, when he blesses with an income, that first 10% off the top belongs to him. I, I know, folks, you, you don't need to be talking about that. Well, I thought if you don't want to hear it, you don't have to hear it. But those of you who would want to find that sense of financial peace, if you will, and even strength in what could be coming upon us and may to some degree already be upon us, financial constriction. If you will just say, in your heart and by your behavior, Lord, I'm going to trust you. The amount of your 10% may be reduced. It's a percent, not a dollar amount. It's a percent. So that may be diminished to some degree. But what he says is, here's what I'll do if you honor me. I'll see to it that what you have goes further. And I'll see to it that things that you've not been able to, to make as deals to work, I'll even cause those things. So I'll bless you. What this is, is taking the steps to place the Lord in the center of your finances. We, 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 we don't need him. We don't need him just in our lives when we're sitting in this room or we've got a, a Christian TV program on. We need him in every area of our lives, with our marriages, our children, our jobs, our finances. Here is how we place him at the center of our financial world. Lord, that which is yours, I give to you, regardless of what is going on around me. All I want to say to you is, I know that's what that works. I know that's true. In fact, the Lord is so convinced that we get it. He says, test me. Test me now in this and see if I will not open the Now, that doesn't mean you decide one day out of 400 days you're going to flip God a quarter and see if he gives you 50 cents back. This is about a step. This is about a process. This is about a holy habit that we do. And I, I just want to encourage you in this, in this place where it can seem like to a degree our financial system or world, the world around us, is broken. Your financial world does not have to be broken. You honor the Lord, and he will honor you. Would you say that back to me? If you honor the Lord, he will honor you. Let's let's make it personal. If I honor the Lord, he will honor me. If I honor him with my finances, he will honor me in my finances. So some of you listen to this, when you, you know, that's, that's fine. I don't really need anything, and I hadn't really been honoring the Lord. Well, maybe, may, maybe the Lord wants to draw, invite you into this because what, what, he, what you have materially, physically, money in the bank, hasn't, hasn't moved you, hasn't done anything, hasn't been a re- reward to you. 
in which the Lord would say, you give to me the first of that which I've blessed you with, and you watch how there will be a sense of reward coming back to your heart. You'll see that that, you you ever had a dollar bill to hug you? You ever had a hundred dollar bill to just reach out with arms and just hug you? I've got a hundred bucks. I've got this money. I've got this money. Well, has that ever said I love you? I appreciate you. Been there for you when you needed someone to encourage you. It just, it's just an inanimate object marked with some degree of value. But this is the Lord's way of saying, I want you to participate in my compassion in the world. I want you to participate in my kingdom work in the world. And when you give from that perspective you give to the work of the Lord, then that's what he's able to do to reward your heart, refresh your heart. It's more than money. It's about what he has and holds as the place of loyalty in our heart. Now, I just wanted to say that because that's a truth. I believe that that is a truth, that if you will honor him with your finances, he will honor you. The second thing is this that I feel like I need to say, and it ties directly back into what we were speaking of last week, how the Lord heals a broken nation. Not only will he honor you if you honor him, but the second thing that I want to say to you this morning is, here is a prayer that he will always answer. Send your spirit, Lord. Send your spirit, Lord. The Welsh Revival in 1904 and 1905 was a massive movement of the Spirit of God that eventually touched just practically every corner of the earth, just about every continent on the globe. It, one of its key leaders, though he was very... Um, quiet. He would, he would be very subdued. He wouldn't even announce where he was going to be next in the, in the meetings that were happening in the nation of Wales during this time. He's a 26-year-old coal miner named Evan Roberts. He had no ordination. He was not a, a professional preacher. He was just a young man who felt like the Lord spoke to his heart and said to him, I'm going to bring awakening to Wales. I'm going to bring a revival to the nation of Wales. And he felt that the Lord had put on his heart that within six months, and this is before radio and TV and all the media that we have um, that that can spread news quickly um, over a vast area, he said that he believed the Lord had told him 100,000 people will come to Christ will come to Christ in six months. He left the school that he was in, and he went back to a small community in the outskirts of, uh, really, Wales. Wales just doesn't have any large towns, but this was a village out from a larger village. And he was given permission. The pastor didn't really know who he was, didn't know that much about what was going on, but gave him permission to speak to the, to the students, the, the young people, in a Wednesday night service. Invited, and, and Evan Roberts shared the vision, and to the best of my remembrance, he said, here is how we need to pray. We need to pray, Lord, send the Spirit for Christ's sake. Send the Spirit for Christ's sake. There was another week um, that, that he was there. They extended the meeting a bit longer. Eventually, adults started coming to just be a part of the sense of what, what happened was the Lord was answering that prayer. When people would come into those meetings, they sensed that somebody else was in the room. They felt that breeze from another land. And, and there was the, the thing about the Welsh is that, that they, they, they grew up in churches singing four-part harmony. That there were no musical instruments necessarily, just the voices of the people. So that all the ladies were either alto or soprano, and the and the, the boys grew up learning uh, bass and tenor. And so it, one of the things that was remarkable as this as this movement of the spirit of the Lord just visiting villages and eventually cities in Wales and its was was the singing, incredible singing. No no instruments, just just the four-part harmony of the, the Welsh people <laughs> singing their praises under the Lord. 
It, it got to where they would show up. They'd come straight from work, the men. They'd come straight, be, be in the churches at like 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon and stay there until 2 or 3 in the morning and then get up and go to work and work for another eight hours and then come back to church. They were doing that week after week after week. You say, that sounds like a hard thing. Not if you're sensing that where you are, the Lord also is. Lord, send your spirit for Christ's sake. Now, last week we spent some time on 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. We mentioned to you last week as well that God often uses trying circumstances in the natural. It can maybe be something financial. The financial collapse was, had actually happened in 1857 when the great revival broke out in, in New York City and spread over to Chicago and Denver and various places. There was a crisis financially. It can be a crisis medically. In those, many of those years, there, was, there were no vaccines. There was no penicillin. There was no way to treat sicknesses. And so the people, as the sense of a plague coming or disease coming, sickness coming, that it seemed as if it might have been easier in some of those days for folks' hearts to be torn, turned toward the Lord to pray, Lord, we need you. But God often has used in the, the threat of impending calamity or present calamity to stir his people to pray, to awaken his people out of complacency or idolatry chasing lesser things and bring us back to where we need to be. Many of us could give that testimony. In seasons of our lives, the closest we've ever felt to the Lord have been in those seasons where we needed him the most. And we, it, it was an easy thing, a quick thing. It was the reflex action to seek the Lord in prayer. The, the, the Lord has, has often used circumstances to bring us to prayer. But then we've mentioned also as well, and this is from 2 Corinthians 7 and, and other relevant portions in Scripture, that, that he, he'll get to dealing with us about our sins, about the things that need to be shifted and changed in our lives. I can just tell you that, that you, you listen to very much of the news and you listen to very much of that which is, is either, either, either copied and pasted from something written or there's a replay of a video and you have, you have a politician, an elected official saying some things that are absolutely destructive to this nation. You hear it, you know it. There's things that, would, that, are, that fly in the face of the Lord and his word and his truth. There can be something that can rise up within us to just be so angry at the person that we have a hard time getting the other side of that to where we sense any kind of hope. And there can be a place that operates, and the enemy loves it, within the church where we, we, get, we get so hopeless and we get so under the cloud that we just want to get down and down and down, circle the wagons and pray for the rapture. That's our only hope is the rapture. I, you know, I, I can say to you, I, I look forward to that day I, I, I'm sooner rather than later. But folks, folks, we, we, what if the rapture isn't for another thousand years? What, what if the Lord isn't coming again physically out of heaven for another 500 years? What then? What then? Well, the, the, the point is that the Lord has us here. He has you living where you live. He has you with your street address. He has us on this earth for the purposes in his own heart, and he makes no mistakes, and he has designs, and he has us here in order that we may join with him in what he wants to do, I believe, to rescue this nation which has been for centuries, since its inception, it has been a, a beacon of light to a lost world. It has been the place from which the gospel of Jesus Christ has been launched all over the place. It, it has been the place where, where Jesus unapologetically has been lifted up and praised and out in the streets and in stadiums and in churches. The name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus 
freely spoken and gladly shouted in these United States of America. I do not believe that God has given up on this nation. I believe that Satan has been doing everything that he is able to do to orchestrate a plan to try to frustrate the, the, the goal of God, the purpose of God for this nation, and he's been working to try to just discourage the church so that we give up. We roll over. We just assume, well, that's just the way it is. That's the way the culture is. There's no, there's no hope. Oh, yes, there is hope. If you're still alive and Jesus still has all authority, there's hope in this earth and in this nation and in this state of Texas. There is. So when the Lord, when the Lord does this work of stirring us and we're seeing the sins in our lives where we need to forgive the ones who would say those things. It doesn't mean that the things that they've said or planned or stand for are any less weak or any less, any less impactful in a negative way. It doesn't mean that. But it means that the primary issue between with them is not their problem with us. It's that the issue is between them and heaven. And so we determined that instead of us being covered up with resentment and anger and rage and whatever all that can morph into inside us that causes us to lose the joy of our salvation and the hope that it should be ours in a God who is able to do anything at any time and to return and rescue and bring forth great revival and change, instead of being there, we, we, we lose that place and we find ourselves in the, in, the, in the tragic place and, the, and the, 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 the difficult place of unforgiveness. Paul will say in Ephesians 4, Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And thereby give Satan a place in your heart. We can give the devil a place in our hearts. When there is some commentator, or there is some politician, or there is some media face that says some things that so push the buttons inside us that all we can think of is the best thing for them is just to be dead or just to be gone. And, they, this, they, and we can feel like it's a righteous kind of an indignation. The scripture will say that, that, that we, we are to, that the, 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 the fear of the Lord will, will call forth a hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord results in the fear of the Lord results in a hatred for evil. But it's not that we have the permission to hate the evildoer, hate the evil speaker. That's vital. That, that's vital. And I'm, I'm saying this because there's some of you who are really burdened for the nation, but you've disqualified yourself for praying because you're so mad at some people. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Iniquity in the sight of God can be being so enraged, so incensed at certain ones, certain things that we've lost sight of that they are an eternal soul in need of a Savior. And we feel like we have permission to just write them off and to, and to encourage the unforgiveness within our hearts. What happens when that happens is our prayers don't get past the sheetrock in the roof of our room. So it's imperative that, Lord, Lord, show me my sin. Well, if my sin is where I'm missing the mark with you is that I'm harboring an attitude that I will not let go of. Yes, I can be angry against sin and sin not. But for me to go to bed with it, for it to inform my thoughts during the day and, and to have, have the result that my whole life is just under this shroud. That, why? It's because I'm still holding on to and trying to strangle by the neck till dead that one who said things did things. Forgive means to release. It means I give them to the Lord. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden not that they, what they've done isn't so bad. It may be even worse than what we know. But Lord, I heard what they said that, that, that offends my heart. I know that's not right, but I give them to you. I give them to you. I release them. I forgive them. I forgive them. You say, Pastor, I don't know how that makes any sense. It may not make any sense to us, but it is a principle in the kingdom of God. Jesus would say 
If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. We need the heavens open during this season of the Lord healing a broken nation. We need him, him listening to the prayers of folks. But if, we, if, if our prayers are so animated by anger and rage and vindictiveness, then we can spend two hours and it go nowhere. And we call it prayer and it hasn't been heard. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. God, show us our wicked ways. Show us our attitudes. Show me my attitude that I may repent of it, that I may ask you to forgive me, and then the prayer will work. Then the prayer, the heavens open and the prayer works. Okay, very quickly. But, but very importantly, I, 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 want to, I want to go from 2 Chronicles 7, 14 to Matthew chapter 6, where the disciples had asked Jesus, teach us to pray. How do we pray, Lord? And the Lord Jesus, who was in heaven at the time that the Spirit instructed Solomon, gave to Solomon the words in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people call by my name. Jesus in heaven before Bethlehem was there when that instruction was given. Now that same Jesus comes to this earth. He's emptied himself of all the authority that he had in heaven with the Father, and he was born as a human child. He grew up as the Savior of the world, and, he's, and he answers the question, here's how you pray. Now, I'm telling you folks, if you'll let this in, there'll be something that can shake to the point of great and deep encouragement in the face of all the places of discouragement and the church is just helpless. We're just here to take it. We just have to put up with this. There's no, no way this is ever going to change. That's exactly what Satan wants us to believe. But how did Jesus say pray? He said this, Our Father, who art in heaven, Holy is your name, hallowed be your name, different than any name on this earth, different than any kind of father on this earth. You're not common, you're not common, you're separate, you're high, you're above, you're beyond. Pure is your name, pure is your name. But then he says, here's what you pray then. Come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God on this earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know we've been on that. We've used that statement many times in the last months. But as it relates to the rescue of the United States of America, it has a pertinence that we must grasp, we must begin to exercise. This is how he said to pray. Come, kingdom of God. You can't have a kingdom without a king. The king brings with him the implementation of those things that please him and the removal of those things that displease him. He sets in order a government, if you will, within the hearts of the one where he comes as king. Come, kingdom of God. Who is the king? The king is Jesus. So when we are told to pray, repent, pray, here's how Jesus says pray. It's not a passive kind of prayer. It's not a polite kind of prayer. It's not a Mr. Nice Guy kind of prayer. It is aggressive, it is authoritative, it is, it is strong. Come kingdom of God. The assumption is there's another kingdom that the kingdom of God is coming against. That there's a kingdom in place 
And the kingdom of God is coming to usurp that kingdom. What is that kingdom? It is the kingdom led by, Ephesians 2 will say, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, who works and who who controls the sons and daughters of disobedience. Disobedient to God, and though they may not be wearing a t-shirt saying, I love Satan, they are under the authority, under the power of the prince, the ruler of the sons and daughters of disobedience. When you and I receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, something miraculous happens. Not just that we are forgiven and that we have a home in heaven, but the scripture will say you and I have been transferred, transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ made real by the presence of Jesus the King in your heart and in my heart causes us to be distinctly different from, free from the kingdom of darkness. This is is incredibly important. For parents to understand, for grandmothers and granddaddies to understand, and husbands and wives to understand, and friends to understand about others that they care about, that there is the kingdom of darkness, and there is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the two are at war. Satan is relentlessly lying. Satan is relentlessly trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And so here comes Jesus saying, here's what you are to do as my men, as my women, as my people on this earth. You command it. Come, kingdom. It's imperative mood. It's the language of a command. Come, kingdom of God. Well, you say, that sounds mean. That's mean if the king is mean. But it's not me (laughs) if the king is the personification of love, freedom, 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 restoration, and new. The king is Jesus. He brings the kingdom to our hearts, his rule, his reign inside our hearts. Jesus is saying, that's what you pray. You pray for the kingdom, my kingdom, to come to the hearts of people. He would say in another place, the kingdom of God is not a geographic location, it's not a building, it's not a statue. The kingdom of God, if you're going to find the kingdom of God, it's going to be within you. So the prayer, bring your kingdom, means King Jesus move into and take over and be alive in the hearts and souls of people. Oh, Now, notice the next thing he says to pray for. Come thy kingdom, and then the next one is, be done thy will. Thy will be done. Be done. Is the order important? I want to suggest to you that the order is very important. The, The will of the Lord being done is going to be done after the king has taken up residency in the heart of someone in whom he's wanting to work his will. Apostle Paul is a wonderful case in point. Before he was the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, schooled at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the leading Pharisees, teachers of the day. He he grew up in the strictest measure of the application and interpretation of the law of Moses, the Old Testament law. He evidently was brilliant. He was fluent in various languages. He evidently had a fiery personality. He was a leader. He was a born, natural born leader. And he was was a terror to the early church. But get this, folks. We don't know where it's recorded in the Scripture. Peter, James, and John, however, were taught by Jesus. Said Jesus spoke, "You, you teach these ones whom you're discipling You teach them the things that I have taught you. The commandments that I have given you, you teach them. 
Well, certainly one of the things that they taught the people in Jerusalem who had come to faith in Christ was you, you pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Come, kingdom of God. Come, King Jesus. Come, King Jesus. Come, King Jesus, to the hearts of people. We don't know when it was going on, but I'm telling you, I believe it was happening. That as those, those major faces and voices coming against the church, as they were known to the praying church, don't you reckon that Saul of Tarsus was on their prayer list? How were they praying? Kingdom of God come to Saul of Tarsus's heart. King Jesus, invade his heart. King Jesus, set up your throne and your control in Saul of Tarsus's heart. Well, Acts chapter 9, Saul is continuing to carry out his ravages against the church, breaking up homes and sending ones to prison, separating family, children, seeming to have no sense, no sense that there was anything wrong about that. Saul of Tarsus had the law down. He had, he had what he felt like justice down and severity down. And, and anything you need to do that comes against the way that God wants it done, you have a right to just snuff it out. So he, he drew the conclusion that since Jesus was nailed on a tree, he, he pulled a scripture up, cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. Therefore, he had a scriptural basis for believing that Jesus of Nazareth was a heretic and he was leading all of these good Jewish people astray only to have that encounter. Folks, we don't know whether it was a couple of minutes. We don't know whether it was five minutes. We don't know whether it was 30 seconds. But something happened when that man who was hell on wheels got an encounter with the king coming to him making himself known. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you were persecuting. From that point in time, when, when the revelation happened to him and he saw with the eyes of his heart the king coming to his heart, he was radically, revolutionally transformed and changed virtually in the twinkling of an eye. Folks, listen. If that could happen to Saul of Tarsus, that can happen on Capitol Hill. If that happened to Saul of Tarsus, that can happen in Hollywood. If that happened to Saul of Tarsus, that can happen anywhere. There are rebels on fire against God. Come kingdom of God. If Satan can so discourage us and so push us back that we don't even enter the fray, we just quit praying, we just quit. then he, 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 he has won a battle, not the whole war, but he can win a battle in your heart. Just give up, just give up, just pray for the rapture, just pray for the rapture. When Jesus would be saying, Here's how you pray. Even if I come at sunrise tomorrow, or it's another 500 years before I come, here's how I want my church to pray. Come, kingdom of God. What happened after the kingdom of God, the king came to take possession of Saul's right? Then the will of God started being done. How and where? Through Saul, who became Paul, the apostle to the Gentile. He, he left Jerusalem, he left, and, and, and he, just, he just went out to points unknown, not only to the Lord, but he was following the king who was giving him direction. The will of God being done. Kingdom of God come. Overturn, break through, frustrate the kingdom of darkness. We're invading the kingdom of darkness. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Where did we forget that? Gates of hell shall not prevail. So he's given us authority to bind and loose. And that having to do with, Lord, we enforce your kingdom. Come, King Jesus, to hearts. Be done your will. 
You go to Acts chapter 1, I'm going to stop here, but you go to Acts chapter 1, and, what, and, and it's so clear there. Jesus has taught for 40 days on the subject of the kingdom. Here, here is what the government of the kingdom is going to look like in individual lives and collectively in the church, the ecclesia. But then that amazing section, section in Acts 1, 7, and 8, right to there, where, where he says, but don't, you, don't, don't, go, don't do anything yet. You are to wait for what the Father promised. You are to wait for what John the Baptist spoke of, that you will one day be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Paul would later say, in answer to the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The the invisible presence of Jesus. The invisible but real and active and present and in our hearts presence of the exalted Christ is the Holy Spirit. He said, you wait until he comes. For ten days they waited. For ten days they prayed. You know what they prayed? If it's not spoken directly. But they were left with this this amazing statement by Jesus. Something is coming that will be power to you. Power and freedom to you. Power to do, to be my witnesses. But then also the promise that my power would come upon the ones you're witnessing to. So that they will understand what you're saying. They'll get what you're saying. They'll be convicted. So for ten days they prayed. Wonder what they prayed. Send your spirit, Lord. Send your spirit, Lord. Send your spirit, Lord. Send your spirit, Lord. Over the years of my life, after the Lord awakened me to this truth, preachers can preach all day long and not do anybody any good. You have the gift of gab. You can just get up and say stuff, and you can even read Scripture and so forth and pray. But it's like, again, it's like talking to one of these I-beams or sheetrock. Nothing happens. Because it is only by means of the life of the Spirit upon a preacher, working through that person or that witness, anyone, that that then we begin to sense there is effect, there is impact when the Spirit of Jesus is the energy behind what we're doing. Otherwise, the flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit gives life. I've seen it again and again and again and again over the years of my ministry, of our lives. And... And so it's just true. It's just true. When there'll be a group of folks who will determine to gather together and pray, it may be an individual, it may be one other person. He said, if two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in the middle of you. And the prayer is, Lord, send your spirit. Send your spirit. Send your spirit. Our singing isn't enough. Our preaching isn't enough. Our giving money to missions isn't enough. We've still got a country going to hell in a sense. Come, Holy Spirit, send your spirit, send your spirit. I do not know of an instance where when that has been prayed collectively, that has been prayed um, patiently and with resolve, that the Lord in some way, somehow, hasn't answered that prayer. I was in a prayer meeting earlier this week or this past week with a group of men in a home. They were men from across the area, they were, they were a combination of, of businessmen, retired men. There were a couple of preachers in the house, but that was it. And the whole purpose was to meet together to pray for the nation. The determination was made. We're not going to spend all our time swapping prayer requests. That's just talking to each other. We're going to turn our prayer requests into a prayer instead of wasting all the time and then closing with a, with a word of prayer and calling that a prayer meeting. no. So there we sat. Sometimes we sat for a few minutes and nobody said anything, but the understanding was we will speak, we will pray when we sense the prompting of the Spirit giving us something to pray. And I'm telling you, folks, AT&T Center hadn't filled up yet with people getting right with the Lord and, and all these stadiums, a great revival with a capital R hadn't come, but there was a measure of revival that met with us this last week in a home with businessmen and no hired guns except two preachers that were just amazed at what they were hearing. A man would start here and pray, would cry out, Lord, send your spirit, send your spirit. 
he'd stop. Then somebody else picks it up, the same theme, but it may be a different application. That would happen. Then this one, then this one. Then there'd be a song, a song. <laughs> you, you know, tone-deaf men don't make much. They don't hit many notes, but there's authority in the sound, and that's kind of what that was. It was saying, Scripture being read, and there was a sense that the Lord was pleased with what in that humble setting we were able to do. That, that speaks of what I believe is a precursor for what the Lord is going to do throughout the nation. And I believe in many ways He is doing it in the nation. Where individuals are calling folks together to pray. Not just a bunch of Baptists huddle up or just a, Pentec- a bunch of Pentecostals huddle up. Or I, but, but where the Spirit connects you with somebody that you know would get it when you said, can we meet and pray for the nation? Realizing that the the rescue for the nation is the exaltation of Jesus the Christ again at the center of this nation. We're not praying for all the religions in the world. We're not praying for God in general. We're praying, come King, come King Jesus, come King Jesus, and we're not going to shut up until it happens. That That is the essence of revival. That is what happened in the 1730s and 40s. That is what happened in 1799. That is what happened in 1857. That is what happened in 1904 and 1905. That is what happened in the Jesus movement in the late 60s and early 70s. It it, it didn't matter what background you came from. Most most didn't have any background. But I tell you what the common bond was as that thing broke loose and it was Jesus. Just Jesus. Jesus t-shirts. Jesus period. Jesus. He is the rescue. He is the healing of the United States of America. So I have an assignment that I want to ask you to consider as you leave. I want to ask you to consider inviting, initiating an invitation to ones that you have come to know have a registry of the Spirit within them. And they would understand it when you said, would you join me to pray for the nation that God would pour out His Spirit upon His church and upon the nation. Not every church attender, pew sitter, flip God a quarter person is going to get that. But there will be many who will. And I believe hundreds of thousands, if not millions, already are getting that in this nation. And that is why I believe we see to a degree a crumbling, a disassembling of this current administration and all of its attempts to just, to just come against what the country has been blessed to be founded upon and so forth and so forth without making any kind of political statement. There is a massive disassembling of what is going on in the higher. And I believe that that is directly attributable to the prayers of God's people. Bring your kingdom, Lord. Raise up into political office and those who will lead us, ones who, they may not be a Sunday school teacher, but give them that kind of heart that honors you, that honors you. And he's doing that, and he will continue to do that. But you know, folks, even if, even if they don't start singing in the, in the capital, you know, onward Christian soldiers, even if it doesn't, they're just completely... There can be this kind of powerful revival and awakening happening in your life and in your circle of influence if you will personally take seriously that calling of Jesus. You pray, and here's what you say, come kingdom of God. Right here in this circle, right here with my family, right here in this part of the town, right here in this this season at this time, come kingdom of God. Come King Jesus. Be done your will. Come, Holy Spirit. As we pray, come, King Jesus. It is recognizing it is the Spirit of the King. That's why Holy Spirit comes. Send your Spirit for Christ's sake, the Spirit of the exalted Christ. Okay, I'm done. It's true. It's true. You honor God with your finances, and He will honor you. You set yourself to praying, Lord, send your Spirit into the place, into the setting that to be, seems to be impossibly broken and assaulted by the enemy. Send your spirit, Lord. Send your spirit. And expect that there'll be something that he, as he does that, will do within you as he does to the broader reach, to the ones affected by you. 
Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this time in your presence. Will you please make these truths real? Will you cause them to be animated within us? Will you raise up within us that, that, that joyful passion to obey you? I, I shall run the way of your commandments, David said. I will run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Where our hearts need to be enlarged to run the way of your commandments, we ask you, Lord, do it, do it, do it. Let us be a part of the healing of the United States of America. Don't let us be disqualified by sin remaining and, and, and attitudes remaining that we need to give to you and be forgiven of. Lord, may we be found in that place of humbling ourselves before you, turning from our wicked ways and praying, confident that you will hear our prayers and you will heal our land. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Bless you for being here today. You know, heaven, I don't think is ever going to get up to 105 degrees. That's another reason why we ought to look forward to going. Thank you for braving the weather. Thank you for following your heart to be here. And I'm praying that we won't be able to just forget this. But in the place where you are, your assignment with the faces that you look at, the ones that may be running, the ones that may be an issue, come kingdom of God. They're being thrown around by the kingdom of darkness. That's why the grandmothers in here need to understand you may be small of a small frame and you're not able to kneel down like you once did, but you can pray and are called to pray with authority, with aggression, with confidence. You see that? Come kingdom of God to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. That's what it's about. And he wants to use us, partnering with him for that to be accomplished. There's somebody listening to me who needs right now to say, I receive you, Jesus, into my heart as my Savior and my Lord. Been to church, been around, been around religion, but it's a big difference when it's Jesus on the outside and Jesus by his Spirit on the inside. You pray that prayer right now, right where you are, Jesus, I receive you into my heart as my Savior and as my Lord. You are not bowing before a statue. You are not trying to remember what somebody said. You're opening your heart up to a real person who brings all that he is into all that we need. Amen. If we can pray with you, you step out, come this way. Prayer partners, join me here if you will. And the Lord bless you. You are a delight and a joy to meet with every time we get together. You look good with praises all over you. And bless you for being here, and we love you. I'm thankful for you. Come this way if you need prayer. The rest of you will see you next time. You don't have to be in a hurry to leave. If you need to visit with some folks, hug a neck, speak a word of blessing to somebody here, you do that. God bless you. Jennifer, thank you, and Josh, and everybody for helping us today.